we are in core values again, what really matters. We're going to be uh, covering what really matters. That's our, uh, uh, our continued study last week and this week of our core values and our mission statement. We're going to be looking at that. I thought it was important as we move to a two-service format that we stay on mission and we stay with our mission statement and our core values. And and the mission statement of the church, many of you work in different organizations that have mission statements. It's it's just a a short summary of the aims and purposes that remain unchanged within an organization. Uh, We are the living body of Christ, but, but we still have mission statements. We have core values, and the core values are distinctives that drive us and keeps us kind of centered and focused of what we're doing here at King's Chapel. Both of them, both the, the mission statement, excuse me, and the core values serve as filters to remind us what really matters. You know, what's important, what's not important. What are we standing for? What are, what are we not going to do? I like to think that we talk more about what we're for and not against, as some churches do. Uh, but what, what really matters. And, and it gives uh, us as a church some clarity um, to the intentional direction of our church. Next week, September 17th, we jump back into the expository preaching. Um, This is more of a biblical theology, an overview of the whole scripture. Next week, though, we start back in the gospel according to John, the invisible made visible. Uh, We're in John chapter 10, verse 22. We're going through the book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, understanding its context, and then making application for our lives. Last week... And this week is about our mission statement and our core values. Last week we looked at two core values. And this week we'll look at the third core value. Now here's our mission statement. Let me see if I can... No. My computer's froze. Okay, here we go. Good. Can we go back one? I think it's frozen. Our mission statement is rather clear. We exist to glorify God by living on mission with him in making disciples through gospel-centered worship, transformation, and community. Our core values are three, E-I-C, eternity, gospel redemption, identity, gospel transformation, and community, gospel restoration. I thought I changed that. Hmm. This ain't last week's, I hope. Maybe. All right, no. Okay. I made a mistake last week. I made it twice in a row. So, identity is gospel... Transformation. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Last week, I just want to hit this really quick. Last week, we said EIC eternity and the part of our mission statement that we exist to glorify God begins with God himself, the eternal creator, God himself. He created us, as we looked at last week, for the sole purpose or at least the pinnacle purpose of bringing him glory. All of life worship for the purpose of declaring and treasuring his infinite value and his incalculable worth, that he is far above everything and everything he created is his worth and value. That's why we exist. But sin, Genesis 3, came into the world and rather than worship our creator God, we are running around worshiping other things. It's called idolatry. And what happens is God, in his love and unfailing mercy and love toward you, did not sit back in the mess that we were in, but sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world to die a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, dying in my place, our place, and bearing the punishment that our sins deserved. And because he paid the penalty of sin, he set us free from the punishment of sin, and now we are reconciled to God. Through the death of Christ. So eternity, gospel redemption, means that we are a gathering of Christ followers who have been redeemed 
bought back by the precious blood of Christ, bringing us back into a right relationship with our eternal God through the gospel, that's the work of Jesus, for God's glory, his infinite value and worth, to worship him and our eternal joy. What was broken has been reconciled through Christ, and worship, the very purpose in which we were created, all of life is getting back into the, the glorifying of God and the worship of God. It's, it's God-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting worship. Everything we do here at King's Chapel is evaluated through that lens. Every group that meets, every sermon that's preached, we make much of Christ. He is the hero of every story. Identity gospel transformation first begins with our new identity that's in Christ, We're in union with Christ, and therefore our value, our worth, our significance, our eternal love, all that we need to be valued and significant is made available to us in the love of Christ. So our personhood, our our love and that we desire and, and, and purpose and meaning comes and is restored through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about it being gospel transformation. It begins with gospel identity. And, and, and the gospel shows us that, we, that the need that we have is now given to us in Christ. So jobs and careers and all the things that we chase after in this world to get a sense of personhood and value and worth never satisfies. But once we're connected with our eternal God, we have an eternal purpose, we are loved and valued and seen as precious in his sight, it fulfills the need that we have. And that same gospel, that same truth, that same grace, because God's love for us, not about us, what we did for him, it's what he has done for us, transforms us, as we said last week. So gospel identity and gospel transformations means we are a gathering of Christ's followers who by the grace, well, the gospel of grace, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is, is transforming us, as you see right here. It is, it, is, it is a people that we are a people who are constantly and always looking to the gospel, applying the truth of God's love and grace into our lives in humility and repentance for real change. And we went through that last week. If you haven't heard it, you weren't here, grab the CD and in the back, it's the gospel that transforms us. It is the gospel that makes us more like Christ. We deal with unforgiveness and racism and hatred through the work of Christ. And that's on for, next, for last week. I don't want to get into it. So let's get into a little bit here, community gospel respiration. That is our third core value, eternity, identity, community. And there are two aspects to our core value here talking about community, and that is the monastic and missional. Communities has to do with monastic and missional. The word monastic, you may see the word in there, it comes from the word monastery. It is the gathering of brothers and sisters living together in community. Why would we take that and make it part of our core value? What makes it so important to us? Glad you asked. It's because it has to do with the Imago Dei. It has to do with the image and likeness of God that we were created in Genesis 1 and 2 that God bestowed upon us value, dignity, and worth and created us in his image and in his likeness. You may have never heard this before, but God is a God of community. He has been in a triune community from eternity past into eternity future. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-in-essence. God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son dies on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit is sent into the world, bringing conviction to our lives and show us the truth and the beauty and the glory of Christ. One God, three persons. 
And the only perfect relationship that's ever been, ever established in all of history is one. And that's Father, Son, and Spirit. Pouring out love, grace, pouring, excuse me, not grace, love and glory on one another from eternity past. You know, in the Bible, it says, not only were we created in his image and likeness, but it says in Genesis chapter 2, something very important. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. That man is Adam. It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You see, God created us in his image and likeness, and he created us to be in community. What's very interesting, and many of you heard me say this before, but I think it's key. God declares in Genesis 1 and 2, everything he creates being good. And in the midst of good, very good, he says there is something not good. And what's so interesting about that, he said good, not good for man to be alone, is that he says it not in Genesis 3, when we see the broken relationships and we see sin enter the world, he speaks about being not good in the midst of perfection, not in brokenness. So the ache and the, and the need for community to be together has nothing to do with the brokenness and sin in this world. It has to do with being created in the image and likeness of God, that he created us that way to be in community. Jesus, our good God and Savior, in his entire ministry, was involved in community. There were times that he prayed to the Father, that vertical relationship, and then there was that horizontal relationship that Jesus had with the people. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, goes to the garden. He is about to be crucified. The wrath of God is being poured out on him for our sins, and he brings three of his disciples, closest disciples, with him. He says, watch and pray for me. He lived in community his entire life. It's not part of the imperfection. It's part of our perfection. That's the way God created us. So gospel communities, which you like to call it, this monastic gathering that we meet on a regular basis. Uh, If you're not part of a community group, you wouldn't know. But if you're part of a community group, we know that we meet here. We gather together on Sunday. And then we meet in homes throughout the week. So these gospel monastic gatherings are not just for information, but they're for transformation. In fact, if you're not involved with a group of people living life together, you're missing out on real life change, modeling and growth and wisdom and true intimacy with one another. We call it here gospel communities on purpose. They're not just communities, we call them gospel communities because our desire and our trajectory as we live life together, we eat together, we spend time together with, with, with meeting social needs, emotional needs, personal needs, spiritual lives together, we grow in the gospel. So these gospel communities that we have here are, are growing in deep relationships where, now listen, where the implications, which we talked about last week, where the implications of the gospel are being lived out with each other. So We as gospel people should be the most loving people, forgiving people, kind people, humble people, generous people, transparent people in the world. Why? Because of the gospel. God has been generous and loving and forgiving toward us. Our transparency with one another, we're broken people. The honesty and the transparency to have with one another shouldn't wreck us, destroy us, hurt us, Because our identity is not in what we do, it's in what God has already done in the gospel. 
Our gospel identity is rooted in Christ. And living and sharing our lives in the gospel of grace helps us grow and be honest and transparent with one another. So living out this implications of the gospel, loving, caring, serving uh, uh, together, helps us not to grow in self-righteousness, bitterness, separatism, and exclusions of others. Show me someone who's not connected in a local body, living life together with other people, and I will show you someone that's not a mature believer in Christ. You can't be, because that's the way God designed us to grow together and to love and encourage each other, lifting us up, lifting each other up when we fall, experiencing pain, joy of life together. Now, there are thousands of verses I could show you. We'll go through each one. No. <laughs> that God designed us to live together in community through gospel-centered community. Let me just give you one, and some of you heard this before, but one important overview of what it means to live in gospel-centered community that there's no such thing in the Bible as believers not connected with a local body. It's, it's not heard of. It's not in Scripture because it's, it's implied that every single person who's a Christian is living life together with corporate people living life together in, in groups, okay? That's guaranteed in Scripture. So here's what I want us to see. In the Bible, when you and I, because we're in America, we're in an individualistic culture, you and I read the Bible, and we read words like you, Y-O-U, and what we do is we walk away and we say, you means me, you singular. The problem is, in that Bible translation, other than the King James, which does a great job with, um, at least in this aspect of you, um, many times in the Bible, when you read you, it's not you. I know that's very theological. It means y'all. So if you're from the South... Y'all can come over. That means everybody. So y'all is different than you. And what happens in, in our English text, translating from the Greek original text, we read it as singular when it's really plural. It has to do with community, not you. Let me give you a couple. Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's not singular. It's plural. Okay, it's plural. He's talking about the whole body of Christ together rejoicing in the Lord always. Why? Because some days you don't feel like rejoicing and a brother and a sister can come alongside you and, and bring you through and work with you that you can rejoice together. It's not you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Make sure, the writer says, that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And you think, okay, i got to be content with what I have. That's not what it says. It says being content with what y'all have. How do you live out greed? You live it out. How do you deal with it? You work it out by sharing and being generous with each other, with the community. That's how you work it out. It's not you working it out by yourself. Okay, how do we read Romans 12? A lot of you know the, the book of Romans. This is how we read Romans 12. And I put it up there kind of uh, with parentheses as my own words. Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, me, I appeal to you, singular, Christian man or woman. I appeal to you, therefore, brother, you or sister, by the mercies of God to present your body, to present my body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, me, Christian man or woman, spiritual worship. Sound right? It's wrong. It's not what it says. This is what it says. I appeal to you, Plural, y'all, in Rome, the church that's gathered in Rome. I appeal to all of you. Therefore, brothers, 
plural. The church, everyone, by the mercy of God, present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The church, community, is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Many of you seen that little, maybe you taught Sunday school or children's church, whatever, and you've seen that little boy with the armor of God. You ever see that? He's got, you know, all kinds of things. There's a sword, he's got this helmet, he's got all that. If you read Ephesians 6, you'll see a ton of plural pronouns in that passage. It's not one dude with a helmet, breastplate of righteousness, wielding the sword of the Spirit. It's not what the text says. As a community, we're to rejoice together, work out greed together, become living sacrifice together, and fight against powers together. It is soldiers lining in battle, sword by sword, shoulder by shoulder, taking on the enemy, drawing close to each other and putting shields side by side, forging ahead together. Not one dude. It's not the text. We read it that way. But in the original, it's a plural. It's awesome and many times plural. Growing together in the grace and knowledge of Christ, growing in wisdom and character only happens or can only truly happen not only in the gathering of worship, hearing the word preached, we call air war, but it happens in the ground war, meeting together, working the passages out, looking at each other, being accountable, giving somebody a permission to ask hard questions, to push on some issues. Because why? We're gospel-centered. None one's, no one's perfect. Grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness ought to be shared to one another because that's how God treats us. No matter how you are. And here's, here's the point. Through faith... Though faith is something personal, you make a personal commitment, it's individual, one has to turn from their sin and repent and believe on Jesus, I get that, but there's an aspect of Christianity in the scriptures that it's not just personal responsibility, it's a matter of community, we're going to see that today with baptism. So none of us, no matter how strong you think you are in the Lord, no matter how much scripture you may know, no one can stand on their own. That's what Peter says to us in, 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 in 1 Peter 2, one of my favorite verses about the church. As you, plural, as y'all, sounds funny from a kid from the city, right? As y'all, come to him, that's Jesus, as you all come to him as Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, y'all, yourselves, are living stones, plural, being built up into a spiritual house, to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul is using Shekinah temple glory. When the Shekinah glory, the, the presence of God comes down in the Old Testament and fills the, the temple, the presence of God. That's the, the terminology he's using. And now he's saying, listen, as you come to the living stone, we are little stones, bricks, built on Christ. And that is what God Inhabits. That's the Shekinah glory, the presence of God comes down and inhabits his people brick upon brick. And his, and his reality is, is increasing as we intricately live life together. That's what that passage is saying. It's not just you having a quiet time. It's us gathering in community. It's both. But we must gather in community as we're being built brick upon brick 
working things out in the gospel with love and generosity and mercy and forgiveness than the fullness of God. And which, by the way, it's not just the fullness of God coming down so what? It's the fullness of God that you and I can actually know God better. You cannot, and I believe according to this scripture, you cannot grow as a believer alone. And one of the reasons is because you're bringing a finite knowledge of God, unless someone here knows God perfectly. Okay, you've already lied, so you don't, obviously. When you bring your, what God is showing you, and your intimate knowledge and love of Christ to the group, you're bringing a peace that I don't have. So we get to know God better. We commune with God greater when we gather together and do it as a family. That's just the way it works. You say, well, you know, I don't need church. Okay, well, you're going to stay stagnant and immature. And if you think, well, you know, there are a bunch of sinners there. (laughs) There are. And if you show up, so are you. So just so you know. You know, you ever see that person who just goes to church and they've tried 35 churches, there's not one right. Well, you're really the problem, to be honest. Um, There are some churches you don't want to go to. I get that. That's not the way God designed us. That is not the way God designed us, okay? We're called to restore genuine community. And when we, we, we come to Christ and, and we believe on him and we hold deeply the truth that Jesus Christ gave himself for us, he was beaten to the ground and hung on a cross for our sins collectively. The knowledge of the sacrificial love in the gospel not only changes us, transforms us, but it makes us family. It makes us family. We're called together to live out this gospel uh, that, that restores genuine community centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, where there's great generosity, Christ-centered worship, deep forgiveness, and love and care. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters, if you have brothers and sisters that you like, if they're in trouble, there's an obligation to you to help. Same even more so, the tying and binding together of Jesus Christ on our lives. Financial resources, time and resources, because we're family. Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit. You've been called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, family language, of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. So yeah, we have to individually come to Christ, but we're part of something much bigger, much greater. It's called family. And little by little, if we're living out the implications of the gospel, little by little, we're reflecting to the world what life is really like in King Jesus' kingdom and what life was really like before sin and brokenness entered the world. A little bit, a glimpse of the kingdom when we live life together. When our gospel identity is lived out, a new gospel community is formed. And restoration to what God ultimately is doing, what God is ultimately looks like, hopefully, in the gospel communities. Not perfectly, but it's getting there little by little. Little by little. And you know what? It gets messy. You know it does. That's why we need to be loving and patient, because God's loving and patient toward you. We need to be generous and forgiving, because God's generous and forgiving toward you. Number two, monastic. Monastic has to do with the mission. We saw it in our first core value, the missionary heart of God, seeking after Adam once Adam sinned and ran from God. And God's been seeking us ever since. The church, the communities, have been brought together, formed together in the gospel, not to be separate, 
just like Israel, but to declare the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God to the nations. A light to the nations, the Old Testament says. And so as we, as Christians, look what it says in First Peter again. Just a few more verses down. But y'all, verse 9, you all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim... Why? To proclaim the excellencies or the glories of him who called you out of darkness, there's our identity, into his marvelous light. We belong to him. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had no mercy, now you've received mercy. Beloved, he says, I urge you to be sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh as sojourners and exiles. Our home is in heaven or in the new heaven and new earth. Wage war against the flesh, live for the glory of God. Verse 12, keep your conduct as you're living life among those who don't know Jesus, honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and what? Glorify you, glorify God. You see that? We are a community that not only monastically gathers, but we are missional and we scatter. We here at King's Chapel believe that every single Christian is a missionary, sent ones into the world, sent ones to reflect God's glory and to proclaim the gospel. The Father sent the Son into the world. The Father and the Son sent the Spirit to convict us, to make us one. And the Father and the Son, the Spirit, sent us into the world. Jesus said very clearly, not only would we be light upon a hill, salt and light to the world in Matthew, but John 17, as you sent me, he's talking to the Father, into the world, I sent them, that's us, into the world. So, in this core value, the foundation and the primary focus of every believer is, is the common mission, sentness, to take this gospel of redemption to the world. Our neighbors, our homes, our, our jobs, our school, our work, and globally, around the world as well. So the gospel creates a community who are called into existence so that you could see a peace and the beauty and the glory of Christ as we live life together and as we bow our heart to King Jesus, but then also as we go into the world on mission so that other people are drawn to Christ so that they can have their sins forgiven and enjoy a reconciled relationship with God. The most important thing of life today, if you don't know Christ, is do you, how are you going to be reconciled to God? It's through Jesus Christ. We're mission. We're the sent ones. We are to delight in God's glory and share in his goodness and reflect the gospel, the good news, and the glory of Christ to the world. A church that is not, does not have, everything we do is centered on this. A church does not have a sentness into the world to love people so that we can build bridges, learn cultures, learn language, learn hopes and fears, so that we can share Jesus with them. It's not a New Testament church. They're a separatist, holier than thou. We're broken people who have been saved by the grace of God. If you don't know Christ, we want you to know Christ. There's no hiddenness here. There's no hiddenness. We want you to come. Repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So gospel restoration. We are a gathering of Christ followers who live life together. We work out the gospel implications with one another. Again, last week, you'll, you'll see what I mean by that. We work out the gospel implications with one another and scatter into the world to demonstrate love and good deeds, love people, 
and proclaim with words the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the community in which we live. Now, this, this, this morning, we are going to have a baptism. Okay? There's our core values. Again, we exist to glorify God. We live in our mission. We're making disciples. That's, you come to know Jesus. Gospel said to worship, transformation, and community. Now, we're going to have a baptism in a few minutes. Let me just take two minutes before we get ready for that and tell you that baptism, water baptism, full immersion tank is filled with water, nice and warm, about 80 degrees. It's beautiful. Immersions, ablutions, um, these, these water baptism are not something that started in the New Testament. It goes back way back in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the priests would wash their hands. Gentiles had to wash their bodies. They were considered more sinful. It has to do with a picture of our sin and defilement and that we needed a cleansing. We needed to wash. So the priests were told to wash their hands before going into the temple and other things and washings and things like that. Baptism is a picture of that, that the cleansing power of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for our sins cleanses us from our sins. It's the cleansing power, his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what a picture of baptism is. It is the work of Christ forgiving us of our sins. And that's what this picture does for us as we're going into the tank and being fully emerged. We've been washed. And when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection of Christ. It is a picture of his death and his resurrection. That we died with him. He died for our sins. We've been washed and cleansed of our sins. And now we're walking in newness of life. Water baptism, I don't know what culture, or excuse me, background you come from. Scripture says that water baptism doesn't save you. It's just a picture. It, it, it shows clearly what has already taken place in your life. It is symbolic of the cleansing power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And when we go in, we identify with him. We died with him. We rise with him. It is, a, it is a picture of what has already taken place in the heart of every believer. When you trust in Christ and you believe on Jesus, the Bible says that he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you are baptized in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. Jesus is the baptizer, the, the water, or, or Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the agent And we're baptized into the body of Christ and Christ comes in us and we are in him. That's what full immersion, that's why we do full immersion. It's a total identifying with the water. And so it is with baptism. It is a public declaration of identifying with Christ. I have been born anew of his spirit. I have repented of my sin. I've been baptized with the spirit. His DNA, the divine nature dwells within me and now I want to publicly demonstrate what has already taken place in my life. Jesus Christ is Lord and I have been born anew of him. Secondly, very important, is that not only are we identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but the Bible says we're identifying with his people. It's about community. Listen to words in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, talking about the physical body, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ's body. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jew, Greek, slave, or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. The moment of conversion, when we repent and believe on him, we turn from our sins, we trust in him, and God puts his spirit within us. And we are baptized. We are brought into the body of Christ as believers. That's what this is all about. So we'll have four people sharing the testimony of a day and time in their life where they said yes to Jesus Christ. And now they want to publicly demonstrate what has already happened in their heart. There's been the change that has taken place, forgiveness of sin. I'm walking with Jesus, 
and now they want to publicly demonstrate that with the symbolic actions of baptism. And it's not only because of that, because Jesus said so. Really, that's the bottom line. Believe and be baptized. That's what the scripture says. Matthew 28 makes it very clear. Go into all the world, he says to the church. Go into all the world. Be missionaries. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Means tell people, come follow Jesus. It's disciples. Learn from Jesus. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and teach them all the things that I've taught you. And I'm with you to the end of the age. Do you know Christ? We're going to hear testimonies today. Give your life to Christ. Yield your life to Christ. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory, and the only rescue we have is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And that's what this baptism is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the community that you have gathered here locally at King's Chapel. Thank you for the folks that call us home, that we can live together in community. Help us to be gospel-centered, loving and caring and trusting you, forgiving one another quickly, being generous and kind to one another because that is what you are to us. Father, help us to live out the implication of that gospel. And Lord, we pray as the testimonies are being heard today, maybe there's someone here that has never, ever, ever turned from their sins and trusted in Christ. All that he has done on the cross for us, Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a work. Draw them to the place to stop being their own saviors and lords, but to trust in you and receive you as Lord and Savior of their life. That's our prayer, Father, as we continue. In Jesus' name, amen.